0: You're listening to the Better Man Podcast, becoming life giving men together. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, Barry Rowan is with us. He's the author of The Spiritual Art of Business. And if you are a guy who has ever thought about or maybe asked yourself the question, like, does God care about my work? Uh, how, how can I maybe find some meaning? here in what I'm doing from the 9 to 5. Maybe you're driving home right now at the end of a really hard day where you dealt with hard things, hard people, problems that didn't seem to be able to find any resolution, and it just kind of leaves you pulling your hair out wondering, um, where is God in the midst of my 9 to 5? If that's you, uh, then you are really going to enjoy today's conversation. Barry has been there. He's done that. He's thought about this, and more importantly, he has a story to share on the journey that he was on as he went through his career to find meaning at work. And so any guy that's either has a job, has had a job, or is maybe one day uh, hopefully going to have a job, you're gonna love today's conversation. Barry's got a ton of wisdom to share with us on this subject. So enjoy my conversation with Barry Rowan. Barry, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. Great to have you here today.
1: Thanks so much, Adam, great to be here.
0: Well, I want to just jump right in and start talking about your book, The Spiritual Art of Business. Um, I know this book grew out of your own struggle, really, to find meaning at work. And so would you, let, let's just start there. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that story and just that journey you were on? Sure.
1: I mean, I really came to a surrendered faith out of a crisis of meaning and work. I mean, I'd always gone to church my whole life, but I really didn't understand the gospel in the sense that I didn't know that it had to start with surrender. And mm. so as uh, that, I actually got invited to a, a camp in Colorado where I now live uh, and climbed up on a rock above that camp and, and just started weeping. I said, well, what mm. is this about? And I realized that it was the juxtaposition of the serenity of that environment was in just such contrast to this turmoil within me. And uh, I was sick and tired of living a divided life. I wanted to give myself wholeheartedly to something, but I knew that something had to be worth my whole life. And I uh, read 16 books in the next eight months, uh, trying to sort it out and and stop going to church because I thought it was hypocritical to worship a God. I was no longer sure existed as God had to take me down to just bedrock in my faith and yeah. out of that I I concluded as the lawyers would say based on the preponderance of the evidence I think <laughs> it's more likely than not that God does exist uh, yeah. it was about an 80 20 thing for me though you know it wasn't wow. a slam dunk uh, and then it was well what are you going to do about Jesus and um, if he is who he says he is we have to take him at his word and and his words to me were you know any if to not give up everything he has can't be my disciple and and those words just penetrated my heart, and I said, well, I think that has to be the starting point for me. So on a run around the lake by our house uh, when I was about 29, I said, I give up, literally. And it was yeah. with heel marks in the sand that I came kicking and screaming into the kingdom of heaven. And But it still didn't answer the question of meaning and work. I would spend the next eight years uh, and writing 350 pages to myself, mostly in the middle of the night, trying to understand yeah. God's perspective of work, because I was just thinking about it all wrong. And In retrospect, he had to take me through what I would describe as a succession of paradigm shifts, about two dozen things that I just had wrong. And out of that came a a completely transformed perspective of work that has animated my work life for the last 25 years. And that's really why I wrote the book. It came out of that struggle and that challenge and seeing so many of us having the same kind of challenges.
0: That's amazing. When you were going through that struggle and trying to, you know, you're up at night writing those pages – uh, did you feel lonely during that time? Were there people you were talking to? Like, if if you brought this existential crisis to work, were people looking at you a little strange, going like Barry, come on, let's uh, let's get back to the spreadsheets here?
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh, the chief financial officer for a public company at that time. We had about twenty five hundred employees. I was in my mid thirties, and you know, honestly, I didn't talk to anybody at work about it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't yeah. think there was anybody I could talk to at work. Um, but I did talk to a number of other people. I mean, I went to a class on the integration of faith and work i got to know uh, a guy uh, jeff van duser who i re- reference in the book and tim dearborn who both came alongside me and to uh, jeff they both wrote books actually on on meaning work and jeff's book on um uh why business matters to god grew yeah. out of our conversation so it was it was very helpful to have talked to people along the way but ultimately it was between god and me and it was mm. god using my work to do his work in me and that he had yeah. to really take me through uh this this challenge and these understandings and unpack so much of what i had been had put into my own soul like replacing the god of the universe with the god of achievement uh, for one mm. and uh and it, so it was really his work in me and uh, but ultimately coming alongside me was my wife uh, who was very very helpful um although i did learn uh to buy just one ticket to the roller coaster for a while i was buying two tickets and would send her on the, <laughs> the same ride with me and i realized you know that's probably not very fair to her. So yes. i became more judicious about uh, how and when to bring her in but just we've been married now for 42 years and so that's having awesome. her by our my side was really helpful
0: yeah. Oh, I get it. Uh, I'm married to uh, an amazing woman that'll listen to a lot of my musings. And yeah, you're right. Sometimes it's like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have opened my mouth on this one. I don't know if I need two of us. Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. So I, I love how you alluded to, listen, I really needed to figure out some of these paradigms. And I think you said earlier, like maybe 20 some odd paradigms uh, certainly don't want you to go through the whole list uh, and put you on the spot there and see if you remember all of them, but do a few of them jump out of just going, these were these were big ones. These were some big aha moments where I realized I had a wrong view of God, or not of just God, but of, of work.
1: Yeah, and it really was a wrong view of life. And I'll give you mm. one critical one, which was I was looking at life from the outside in instead of from the inside out. I thought, okay. yeah. if I just get the right job, somehow I'll be filled up. And I, the way I describe it is, I had the input pipes and the output pipes hooked up backwards. You know, yeah. I thought if yeah. I just get filled with achievement or achieve that, that will fill me up, and I'll I'll be happy and joyful. And and realize later that no achievement is an output. Uh, that mm. we achieve because. God first love us, and that love finds expression in all we do. So that was a fundamental thing, was to realize that fundamentally, it comes out of Corinthians, the mystery that's been hidden throughout the ages, is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we begin to see it that way. I began to see that everything is an opportunity for the expression of ourselves. So we are not what we do, as the world would tell us, but what we do is an expression of who we are. And for followers of Jesus, as we become less and He becomes more— it is jesus being expressed as we go into the office when we set high standards when we want to see a business perform better and all the things we do in in the in our daily lives so that was a fundamental thing i had wrong and the corollary to that was i was trying to derive meaning from my work instead of bringing meaning to the work again yeah. if i just got the right jobs, so I'll be filled up. Well, that's not the case. And I actually, of course, as a financial guy, drew a, a, a bar chart of jobs from, call it a pastor or a teacher or a doctor on one end of the spectrum where there's a, a high intrinsic value to that work. I mean, you know why you're doing that. I mean, doctors become doctors so they can help people grow into the fullness of life by treating patients and curing colds and fixing broken legs and helping people with cancer and those kinds of things. At the other end of the spectrum is something like business, And I Hmm. think that we can have just as meaningful a life when we're called to business, but the onus is on us even more to bring meaning to the work because there's less intrinsic value. And it's God's perspective of the work that ultimately brings meaning to it. And once I began to realize that I realized, okay, now uh, it's my responsibility to think and pray through what is god's perspective of business what are the distinctives about business or any job that we happen to be working in currently that brings meaning to it and so out of that came a really a life-giving uh, perspective of my work which was to contribute to a better society as seen through the eyes of god and mm. i thought well if that's my personal call uh what is the role of business in contributing to a better society is seen through the eyes of god and and that led to my understanding that the fundamental purpose of business is to serve and mm. it does it yeah. in, you know many ways that we could we think about four, particularly you know responsible value creation you know yeah most institutions uh, distribute economic value but business actually creates it so that it can then be con- then be distributed and or secondly um serving customers because when we're serving customers we're literally serving god because god is uh, um, embedded in the people that we serve and creating an environment for employees that enables us all to grow into the full expression of ourselves uh, I'm very growth oriented. I want to be a better human being next year than I was last year. And, and I, I think that most of us want to do that. And so creating an environment that enables people to use their gifts and talents to contribute to the purpose of the organization. And, you know, being a good corporate citizen, when I was at, um, uh, one company, for example, we offered, uh, telecommunication services around the world and including Japan. And I happened to be there when the tsunami hit Japan. Well, we offered free calling to Japan. It was just yeah. something we could do. So as yeah. I began to see those kinds of ways that business could contribute to society, it made my work life come alive because hmm. now I could connect what I'm doing in this moment with my purpose in life. And yep. kind of the silly little example for me is if we had someone working on a, a an Excel formula in a spreadsheet, how do I connect that excel formula to my purpose in life and you think well that's kind of stupid well it might be stupid but it really is a test and it's like oh now i can do it because well let's say they're working on a formula in a strategic plan well you want to get the formula right so the plan can be right so that the company can do better so that it can fulfill its god-ordained business uh, god-ordained calling along the lines we talked about and if i'm called to business then i can now see why getting that formula right connects to my purpose in life and You know, we talk a lot about balance in life, sort of the horizontal perspective of how much time do we spend at work and at home and at family, which is a very important question. Right. But the bigger question for me was the vertical question of congruence, of connectedness Hmm. and and congruence. Yeah, that's good. Once I began to see those connection points, my work life came alive. And that perspective has really energized my work life, as I said, for the last 25 years.
0: You know, Barry, it's really interesting hearing you say that. So again, like what I'm doing professionally going around working with organizations, helping them uh, develop their leaders, that that's my full-time job. And I mean, one of the biggest conversations that's going on out there that I see that's been around for a long time, it's just this whole idea about employee engagement. Uh, how can we make sure, you know, every boss would love to have a team of, of people that are all in, right? They're emotionally committed to the organization and its goals. And but then there's also, at the same time, what Gallup is looking at as they look at the workforce, they're seeing just this insatiable desire in these next generations to really have uh, a purpose at work, right? They really want to be coached and they want to have a purpose. But I'm seeing the balance be you know shift a little bit here, and I'm seeing an, an enormous amount of pressure being put on organizations with the younger generation partic- particularly coming in, kind of with their arms crossed a little bit, going – engage me right give me meaning give me purpose and that's a that's a pretty tall task to ask an organization and a group of leaders to give your life meaning and purpose and uh, so the young leaders that I work with I'm I'm encouraging them no you've got to find that meaning and purpose this is a this is a journey you have to be on um, you can find it anywhere and everywhere don't just sit there and wait for your boss to give it to you uh, it sounds a little bit like the journey that you were on there where you realized okay I, I have to I, I can bring meaning to work I shouldn't expect meaning from work am I on to something there with that well first Adam I think your perspective is spot on uh, I really do and uh, my counsel to the
1: people that you're talking to say let's start with the leaders of the organization as well as right uh, I would encourage them to practice what I've come to call management by looking in the mirror which mm. is that if our people aren't motivated uh, or if they're confused about the strategy or it, it's because I'm confused or because I'm not motivated and because there's just an amplifier on our own feelings and perspectives. So, so I would really start by saying, am I motivated? And how do I think about my job? And I think we can either have a life draining or life giving perspective of our jobs. And we, in fact, I did this when I was in the middle of this struggle, I was on an airplane to Singapore and I wrote down jobs like, um, A teacher, you know, there's a life-draining perspective or a life-giving perspective. Say it's an English teacher. Well, the life-draining perspective is I'm teaching a a boring subject to kids who don't want to learn anyway. (laughs) The life-giving perspective is, oh, I'm helping people understand language and the ability to express themselves and appreciate literature, and it's going to help them in every aspect of their lives. Or Hmm. At the time, I even wrote down Mother Teresa's job. I said, you know, the life-draining perspective is I clean out maggots from the wounds of dying people, which is true. Yeah. Uh, the life giving perspective is I am caring for Christ literally uh, in the poorest of the poor, and he is, yeah. is, he is hiding under the distressing disguise of the poor. And so I would really encourage people to try to write a life giving perspective of our job. You know, for me, That's it so good. to contribute to a better society is seen through the eyes of God. But I've now come to really see that it's evidence of call. If mm-hmm. we can articulate that in a way that motivates us it's probably evidence that God is calling us into that place. I mean, the yeah. way it really came to me was I was on a, I was on a bus uh, from one of these outlying parking lots at an airport, you know, where all the cheapskates park, like me. <laughs> and uh, this woman was driving the bus, was very animated, helping people with their luggage, talking to them. And, you know, I'd never seen anybody who seemed to love a job like that. And I was the last cheapskate to get off the bus and said, "Can I ask you a question? She said, sure. And I said, do you like your job? I, and she said, I love my job. I said, why huh. do you like your job? She said, I meet interesting people going interesting places. Ah, and I thought, that's so you know, well if she can be that thoughtful about that kind of a job that, uh, to bring a life-giving perspective of it that animates her, couldn't I and shouldn't I be able to do the same thing? So I think as we are able to do that, uh, it, it brings energy to our own work lives, Yeah, Uh, and then a couple of other thoughts for the people in the organization i think yes helping them connect what they're doing in the moment to purpose in life is really important i had a friend who was the ceo of a a large um uh, hospital cleaning corporation and he went to russia and there was this woman kind of pushing dirty water back and forth across the floor and obviously not making a difference not liking her job And, Mm and then he goes to the uk and sees this woman being very careful about how she is um, scrubbing the floor. And he makes a comment to her. He said, you you see, you're a really talented janitor. And she said, oh, sir, I'm not a janitor. I'm a Mm. member of the medical team. A lot of people die in hospitals because they're not clean. So cleanliness is an important part of our work here. And that's my job. And that's why I take it so seriously. She's still mopping the floor, but she has a very different perspective of why she's doing what she's doing. And so I think if we can help people develop those perspectives, and again, the onus is on them ultimately to have yep. a perspective yep. of it. But yep. yeah, leaders, and I think they, uh, that. that
0: is such an important message in that. And, and I love those examples of two people doing the exact same thing. And the only difference was just the way that they were choosing to look at it, which can sound a little hokey and a little easy believism and just, uh, you know, uh, positive thoughts, but there's, there is a, a tremendous power to that. And, um, and there is a sense of responsibility I think we have to be able to look at that life-giving uh, meaning or life-giving way to describe what it is uh, that we're doing. That that's, that's us bringing energy to what we do, and that's us uh, being positive and energetic. Yeah, and no, it, it.
1: it absolutely is, and it, it starts with us. You know, it starts, you know, for us who are followers of Jesus, between us and God. And I mean, the yeah. way I describe it, as I was wrestling through these challenges for these really 6 years at one company I changed jobs without changing business cards I was still uh, in the same chair but I was looking at my job dramatically differently and and uh, I I I know that the energy that people derived from my energy was very different as a result of that because they could see
0: Yeah was that showing up in uh I'm going to get real nitty gritty here was that showing up in performance reviews uh where where bosses or in a 360 where people coming up to you and going you're different, Barry, like something's different. What's going on? Uh, do, do you remember any stories come to mind with yeah, that?
1: well, I'll, I'll give you a striking contrast. So I, um, did that job, and then a number of years later, I, I took a purposeful pause uh, when I turned 50 because I'd worked flat out for 25 years. And, yeah. and, and then after a couple of years, I, Lynn and I looked at each other, my wife, and said, I think I should go back to work. And the reason was just what we're talking about here. I mm-hmm. felt so strongly about the power of business to contribute to society. So I took a job in a total turnaround. And I spent 40 years helping to build or turn around eight businesses. Um, uh, so hyper growth type businesses, we sold one for $10 billion and then others that were just turnarounds. This was the biggest turnaround we'd ever done. And it was a financial, operational, strategic and reputational turnaround. I mean, it was, okay. it was a mess. Um, we had over $200 million worth of debt at 16 to 20% interest rates, just to give you a feeling oh, you're losing oh. $50 million dollars a year and, yeah, and we got it totally turned around. Um, uh. The, the company got in public at seventeen. The stock skidded to forty-two cents a share, and you know we got I it know. totally turned around, and and, um, and the stock price improved. And then I got recruited from there to leave. And a woman who I had a very good professional relationship with was a, one of the lawyers. And she was about six one. She comes into my office, closes the door, and plops down on my chair, and said, "Could I just ask you a question? I know you're leaving here." And I said, "Sure." I said, she "Said well, we see the energy you bring to your job. We see that you really seem to care about people." I just want to know what makes you tick. Hmm. And um, I said, well, at what level would you like to have this conversation? (laughs) Uh, That's what a great
0: comeback. I like that.
1: (laughs) Let's talk about the real stuff of life. And so we talked again a lot about what we're talking about here. And, and nine people, Adam, basically over the next week came in and asked essentially the same question. Come on. And, and so for me, that's what brings tears to my eyes because Mm -hmm. I, uh, tend to not wear my faith on my sleeve, particularly working yeah. in a and in public companies in that kind of an environment. Yeah. I tried to follow Saint Francis of Assisi's advice who says, you know, preach the gospel at all time and if necessary, use words. But right. when people say there's something different about why you're about how you approach the job, that is uh, extremely gratifying to me because it Lord, it makes a difference. And I just feel like it's a gift from God for him to say thank you. And I'd say that to everybody who's listening to our conversation today is the way we approach our work will make a difference in our own lives and in the lives of the people that we work with.
0: Yep. You know, the leaders that I work with right now and the guys out there that are maybe, I'll put some timestamps on this, like 35 to 45 and just feeling that complete and total burnout. Um, And just really maybe in that existential crisis. I, I, I don't know if those men truly understand the power of what you just talked about with that uh, changing the perspective on it. Like I, you know, there, after a while you get enough experience under your belt professionally where, um, you kind of have to make the decision on your own as far as what you're going to do and, and why this is meaningful to you. And, and it's, um, you know, you can't just wait for somebody to come along with the, with the perfect job description and then suddenly, you know, you, you light up, and you're and you're just so energized towards that. You've got to take a lot of personal responsibility for that. And I, I love that aspect of your story uh, with that because I think it's so important. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I just for the.
1: The guys who are out there who do, do feel burned out um it's a very natural thing to feel and right i mean i spent the first 10 years of my career really wrestling with what i should do for my career mm. <laughs> and on the outside yeah. it all looked great you know i was doing a startup out of business school that was in the 110th fastest growing company in the us As was the cfo got kicked upstairs to be president and all the while i'm looking for a different job i said i'm just so unhappy here yeah and What I really realized, and what God, of course, realized way more deeply than I did, was that the problem was me, and Mm. it was the way I was looking at work. And that's why I feel so strongly about about these conversations, Adam, and that's why I really wrote the book was because there is a way out of the woods. And the way we look at our jobs dramatically changes the energy that we bring to our jobs. And there, uh, there is a way out. And uh, but it but the onus is on us, we need to take that responsibility, we need to own up to it, man up, if you will, and and just in our own lives say, Okay, what is it that's impeding me from experiencing the fullness of life that God promises?
0: Yeah. And they don't have to wake up at night and write 350 pages. They can just read your book and <laughs> you'll, uh, you'll guide them <laughs> on all of that. Let's change gears here a little bit, because I know you, you describe like this prayer of immersion and, uh, the importance of that and how that played a role in your career as well. So will you say some more about that? Like what, why is, why is that prayer? What is that? Maybe if you can define what you mean when you talk about that and then why, why do you see that being so important?
1: Yeah, well, it was really just something I learned empirically, I mean, from Mm. immersing myself in the pain, basically. And God, as we've talked about, uses our work to do His work in us. And and if if people can learn one thing, it's to learn how to pray. And Mm. I'm not talking about talking, I'm mostly talking about listening. Um, So nothing wrong with talking, we should absolutely make our petitions known to God. Um, But the kind of prayer we're talking about is immersion. And it's for me it's immersing ourselves in three things it's immersing ourselves first in god literally coming into his presence absorbing his love Mm. Uh, secondly it's immersing ourselves in scripture you know it as the saying goes it doesn't matter how much uh, we go through the scripture what matters is how much of the bible goes through us and that we too can become the word made flesh as jesus was as his scripture becomes alive in us and so and it's because it is alive as we listen to scripture if people are familiar with doing lectio divina for example listening to scripture and saying how does it intersect with me right here right now and i've realized that you know god is the great i am and that i must meet him just as i am it's the only mm-hmm. place i meet him so that's the third third thing to submit our uh, immerse ourselves in is our current circumstances So in God, in Scripture, and in our circumstances, and come and say, Lord, here is where I am. Even if I'm not proud of the way I'm feeling, I'm fearful, even though you tell us not to be afraid. I'm judgmental, even though you tell us not to judge. Whatever it is, just come to God in that place. And what I've discovered is that there is a spiritual infrastructure underlying those feelings, Mm -hmm. and that God will do an archaeological dig on those feelings to reveal that infrastructure. And I mean, I I give you example after example. I've written over 10,000 pages in a journal uh, in my walk with Christ. And, you know, almost all of them has an example like this and it's my foibles and things I've had wrong. But for example, when I was a uh, chief financial officer of a public company, we would speak at investor conferences. And I remember being in my first job to do that. And I was very nervous about this conference. I was in Monterey and I I was uh, fairly new to the faith. And I turned the the bed around so I could look out the Monterey Bay and just hopefully have the peace of that bay come into me. And it just wasn't. And it was, Lord, I am fearful. And it just entered into a conversation with God. And so why are you afraid? Well, I'm uh, afraid I'll say something stupid. Well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say more about that. Why is that? Well, they're paying me all this money to represent the company more well, and I don't know if I will do that. And hmm. okay, now we're beginning to get somewhere. And, and, um, why are you really? why does that really bother you? Well, what if I say something and it makes me look um, like I'm not competent? So okay, yeah. now we're starting to get somewhere. And so God, through that conversation, connected fear and pride. The reason yeah. I was fearful was because I was prideful. And now, you know, these decades later, as I see, as John the Baptist says, uh, we become less so that he can become more, there's a there's a phenomenal um, concrete, that happens as a result of that, as we become less and Jesus becomes more in us and and Paul's admonition becomes more true in us that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who is living in us, there's less of us to be offended. There's Mm. less ego to be bruised. There's less of us that can um, be attacked by others because ultimately, and this is a really important idea to me, is that our essence is our emptiness. That uh, the essence of who we are is as a vehicle, as a carrier of the living God. And so that we are emptied of our own ambitions of worldly desires. And as we get filled with God, uh, only God is good. And it's that goodness that will seep through the pores of our soul. And so, so a, it's a very tangible way and practical implication for the way our faith uh, makes us more impervious to the attacks of this world.
0: Mm, I love that. I love that. What a great explanation of that. That's so so well said. Um, before we wrap up, Barry, I want to ask you about this because, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about, uh, your journey and where you were in your, it sounds like, you know, coming out of your twenties into your thirties. Um, if you, if you look back at, uh, 28, 29 year old Barry, uh, what, what would you, what would you say to him right now?
1: Yeah. You know, my, uh, Initial reaction often when I get a question like this is to say, Well, here's how I would be different. Which is and I'll mm. I'll say a couple of things about that. But yeah. I want to start by saying there are some things I had right. And yeah. I would I know that if people look at their cells in that time frame, it would also be true. I mean, I had a yeah. deep sense of curiosity. I set very high standards. I had a love of life, a zeal for life. I I mm. loved people, I had a lot of friends. Um, I um I wanted to do well. I fully applied myself. I was very committed, whether it was to my wife, to my job, to whatever. Uh, I was tenacious. I persevered through very challenging things. So, so there are things that were in that 28 year old body that I'd say, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Keep that. On the other hand, there are definitely some things that I would uh, say to my 28 year old self. Um, one is I would say, trust God, period. Hmm. Trust God, yeah. period. Um, that God is worthy of our trust and that he delivers on his promises. When he says, in all things, I work for the good of those who love me. I am with you always. Those things are not just interesting words phrased beautifully. Those are living truths and we Mm -hmm. can put our weight down on those things. So it's just, and as you know, I've gotten older just to take the mystery out of it. I'm now 68. Um, that, uh, I've seen God come through so many times, and for His mm. trustworthiness to be demonstrated time and time again, thousands, if not millions, of times. Now I can put my weight down on that. So that's one thing I would say. Uh, another thing I would say is learn to pray. I mean, learn to yeah. make your immediate reaction to turn to God, not your, not to turn to God as a last resort. Okay. Um, as soon and as soon as we feel these feelings of ungodliness come over us. Um, pray and take time to pray. Uh, and, you know, for me, I I pray an hour a day and did during when I was in the executive roles. I, I ended up, it started at 10 minutes a day and then it grew into a uh, uh, an hour a day. And then I, I took a, a week-long silent retreat for about eight or 10 times when I turned 50. And now I did the one thing on my bucket list, which I'm not, I know not everybody can do, but I took a month-long silent retreat uh, That's as I finished a 40-year corporate career because I wanted to lay this next season on the right foundation with Jesus as the cornerstone. And there's something really important that happens when we give God space to breathe into our lives. He interprets our circumstances for us. So I would yeah. say, uh, trust God, learn to pray. And the third thing I would say is enjoy the journey. I think yeah. in my, I was kind of revved up in those years. I was more focused <laughs> on what was left to be done and then kind of celebrating what was done. And you know, the, the journey uh, is a lot prettier with the shades up. You know, pay attention. Mm. As Jesus said to his apostles uh, in the garden, watch and pray. Just watch. Yeah. the adventure with God is the greatest adventure this life has to offer. You know, I've had the privilege of traveling to all 50 states and 50 countries through my work life and and personal travel. And I would just tell folks that that adventure pales in comparison to the adventure of following mm. Jesus. Uh, it's the greatest adventure this life has
0: to offer. I love that. What a great answer. All right. I want to do one last one here and we're going to flip that. What would 28 year old looking at 68 year old Barry, what would 28 year old, uh, Barry be proud of?
1: Um, Well, it's interesting. I don't call it mentoring, by the way. I call them intergenerational friendships because I think both generations have something to learn from both. And I think that that 28-year-old would be proud of that 60-year-old by saying, uh, Barry, thank you for your commitment. Thank you for Mm. your commitment to things that matter to your wife, to your family, to your children, to God, your commitment to stay uh, and to at least seek the narrow path and um, that I am grateful for your gratitude, which did not come easily to me, um, gratitude does not come naturally for me because I I tend to be focused on you know the achievement, and so I think my 28 year old say I'm grateful for the way you're turning out. And it looks to me like you're just getting started.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, you have a lot left. Maybe the 28-year-old would then have been tired to go, what? I got another 40-plus years of doing this? Slow down, slow down. Well, it's encouraging, Barry, just how you uh, you really seem to take this. And it sounds like writing is a, is a discipline of yours, that this is a way you process your thoughts, a way you communicate with God. Um, and so I really am grateful that you took that discipline serious put some words down in that book for us and uh have you gotten any like what's been some of the most encouraging or surprising feedback you've gotten from the book so far
1: well i've been blown away to be honest adam by the positive response i didn't set out to sell a lot of copies i don't even know how many copies we sold to be honest i'm I'm not doing any of this for the money we're giving it all away Um, but i've just been so blown away by the heartfelt comments that people have had and said this is really um changed my perspective of my work, I'm I'm more energized. And I really don't view this as a book, to be honest. I view this as an invitation into a conversation with God. Mm -hmm. And as you know, it's 40 days of guided meditations to help people really develop this life-giving perspective of their work. And it's really starts with scripture, tells a few stories of my own foibles, uh, and then asks people, ask questions for people to reflect on. And so the writing, uh, I call it priding actually. Uh, a combination of prayer and writing. Writing is a form of prayer for me. And so yeah, I yeah. view this whole book as a as a form of prayer. And the ten thousand pages, it's really not discipline. It is sometimes, but it's it's more uh, out of the overflow of the heart. Um, that's what speaks on that page. It's kind of yeah. a, it's a process of spiritual clarification and consolidation for me. And that's why I found myself writing.
0: I feel like uh we're kindred spirits on that. I mean, I haven't met very many people that would uh that I th- you know uh, feel like that write as much like that and so um, that to me it's almost like I have no clue what I'm thinking until I get a pen in my hand you know <laughs> like don't ask me off the top of my head how I think or feel right now I need to get my journal and and do some writing so I really appreciate that and uh, find it very valuable
1: well it's clear you wrote a great book also and so thank you for that and and maybe we are cut from the same class. I got a a birthday card one time on the front it said uh, some people to the tune of a different drummer. And then you open it up and it said, but for you, the whole band's weird. So you know, <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. All right, Barry. Well, listen, uh, I appreciate your time today. You're so generous to come and hang out with the Better Man crew. Uh, and we'll put all the links, you know, to LinkedIn and your book and uh, your website and all that in the show notes so people can follow along with you. But Uh, Thanks so much for jumping in on the Better Man podcast today.
1: Well, thank you, Adam. It's been an absolute treat and you ask great questions and really appreciate the connection.
0: Well, Barry, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the Better Man podcast. I know that the spiritual art of business is going to continue to help uh, generations of men that are out there trying to find some meaning in their work. And so I really appreciate you being generous and sharing your time and your wisdom with the Better Man audience today. So like I mentioned there at the end, if you are interested in picking up Barry's book or just connecting with him on LinkedIn or going to his website, I'll put all those links in the show notes. You can go and check those out. And uh, other than that, uh, we really appreciate you guys spending time with us today on the Better Man podcast. Today's episode, like every episode, was mixed and edited and produced by the team over there at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about them at soundofarose.com. That's all we got for today on the Better Man podcast. We'll talk to you again next week.